So walk us through, uh, you know, flying to Europe, reconnecting with folks at Project Ruth and, and driving, uh, you know, to the Ukrainian border. Mind you, for our listeners and, you know, Ralph probably killing for saying this, he's not getting paid to do this. He's he's doing this out of a sense of calling. Um, he, he's, he, you know, he's paying for this out of his own pocket. He's missing his his work. Uh, what are what are you seeing? What, what are you seeing, smelling, feeling and sensing as you encounter these people in unbelievable crisis. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF podcast host, and this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Trip Hawthorne, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary, a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Ralph Stocks. After serving as CBF field uh, personnel in Romania and Hungary for nearly 25 years, Ralph, along with his co-conspirator, Tammy, retired. However, Ralph has now finds himself back in Romania with the folks at Project Ruth helping safely relocate Ukrainian refugees. Ralph happens to be one of the greatest human beings to ever live and one of my personal heroes. Uh, Ralph, thank you for joining the conversation. Uh, my pleasure to talk with you, Andy, but now my ego is as big as the continent of Europe. Yeah. <laughs> well, it should be. It should be. So let, let's start with the most pressing question. Why go back? You, you've been retired for several years now from Global Missions. Uh, you've made a new life with your family in North Carolina. So why get on a plane and go to a border on a war-torn country? Uh, Andy, there was... Uh... Three ways, three uh, indications or signs uh, that I felt 
God was urging me to uh, jump into this adventure. Uh, the first goes back to our time in Hungary. Um, as you mentioned, we spent uh, 15 and a half years uh, of our ministry to the Romani people through CBF, uh, living in Hungary. And we lived first in the village of Dedecke and then moved to the capital of Budapest uh, for a total of about 15 and a half years. And during that time, I uh, crossed the border, the Hungarian border into the Ukraine several times. Uh, there's a rather large swath near the Hungarian-Ukraine border that contains Hungarian-speaking uh, Ukrainian Romani. Now, that's a mouthful. So they're Roma by ethnicity, Ukrainian by citizenship, and Hungarian-speaking by language group. But that allowed me to uh, communicate perfectly because I, uh, I had learned the Hungarian language. So we had a number of partnerships across the border in the Ukraine, uh, and I got to know uh, uh, and, and had a good feel, I think, for the Ukrainian people, and, and out of that grew a fondness and, and a love for them. So going back many years, uh, that's always uh, uh, been a part of my heart uh, for that people group. The second thing, the second sign, um, Tammy uh, and I's uh, passports are, were due to be renewed this year, 2022 in August. Well, we had just kind of dilly-dallied around. We didn't have any trip planned, nothing on the calendar, No, certainly no uh, out of the US trips. Um, so we sent our uh, applications for renewal in the first week of February. And the website for the State Department at that time said to expect 16 to 18 weeks for processing. So, you know, it was uh, late, mid to late February uh, when the war started. And that was the first time anything had crossed my mind about you know, coming to this area of the world, but uh, in relationship to the Ukrainians. But imagine my shock when I went to the mailbox five weeks after we submitted our application and there were our passports. And it was kind of like a, a, a grip on my heart of God saying, well, here's your passport, what are you waiting for? <laughs> and then Andy, the, the third thing that happened, uh, I spoke to our very dear friends here in Bucharest uh, the first one was Oti Bunachu. Oti is the founder of Project Ruth. Um, and uh, he had invited Tammy and I many years ago to, to move from Hungary in, into Romania to, to be on site and help with the ministry of Project Ruth. So I spoke with him and I spoke with Mishi Chiopashu. Mishi is the executive director of Project Ruth. Uh, and we, uh, the two of us had spent a tremendous amount of time during our six years uh, of service here. Uh, he's a young man, uh, family of three uh, bright, uh, two teenagers and, and one uh, preschooler. But uh, these two individuals uh, were just uh, welcoming to the nth degree of the idea of me coming. They said, uh, Ralph, you know, you know the language, you, you know the, the roads and streets of Bucharest. You used to drive teams all over, not only Bucharest, but parts of the country. Uh, 
uh, it would take no effort on our part to be able to host you because you're unlike any other volunteer. So uh, with those three things, Michi, the next thing I, I did <laughs> was to broach the subject with Tammy, <laughs> with my wife. Uh, and she, of course, was immediately uh, supportive. She said, I agree, I think you ought to go. Uh, so that she had happened to be in Missouri uh, the week prior, uh, tending to her dad. Her dad's got some serious medical challenges right now. And when she got back, that was when we sat down and, and, she, she, and she and I uh, agreed that it was the thing to do. Uh, that was a Thursday and on the next uh, Tuesday, I was on the plane coming this way to Bucharest. Mm. Your sense of calling uh, to be the presence of Christ in Eastern Europe is remarkable. As you and Tammy were discerning a sense of calling to serve in global missions, what, what was it about that particular part of the world that stood out to you? Well, this was back when CBF, you know, had uh, uh, gotten away from being assigned to a, a country, uh, but rather uh, leaned into people groups. So, uh, the beginning, the stirrings of my calling uh, really go back to my childhood in Zambia. My parents were Southern Baptist missionaries to Zambia. We went in 64 when I was six years old. Um, I tell the story that uh, my parents came in one evening. My dad was serving a church in Regalwood, North Carolina. And he and my mom gathered the, the three, three of us boys uh, and we were ages five, six, and seven, and informed us we were going to Zambia, Africa to serve as missionaries. So we three, we huddled up in the corner, took a vote, and asked to be put up for adoption. Nonetheless, we soon found ourselves on the way, on the, on the boat, because back then in the 60s, that's the way a lot of missionaries crossed the ocean, on the way to, to the African continent. And I had a fantastic childhood. But I'll limit uh, the stories there to to this. My dad was a church planter, and over the years, I think he had a hand in some 16 church plants around the city of Luantia in Zambia. And one in particular, I used to, you know, as a 9, 10, 11-year-old, used to tag along with him to go to these uh, various uh, villages. And one in particular had the name Fasenji. Fasenji uh, was unique in the sense that it was a government-sponsored uh, village for handicapped people. In that day and in that culture, if you were handicapped, you were seen to have brought shame on your family. And at some point, at some age, you were literally shown the door. You were unloved, unwanted, despised for bringing this shame upon the family. And so Fasenji became a, a place where handicapped people could go. So I tagged along with my dad when, when he would go to Fasenji to first establish a, a, a church and then uh, to go regularly and, and lead worship. And I observed these, all these people with different handicaps, everything from uh, missing limbs to deformed limbs to various types of skin afflictions, blindness, just all, all kinds of things. And the thing that struck me, Andy, was uh, as I watched these people coming to worship service, 
they came with a smile on their faces. And I thought to myself, now what do you have to smile about? Nobody on earth loves you, not even your own family. And for the first time in my life, I began to, to listen to my dad's sermons. And of course, it, it, it uh, dawned on me uh, the message of our being uh, sinful and, and needing to repent and invite Jesus into our hearts. And, and that's what led me to do that because I wanted to experience this happiness that those handicapped people were displaying. So I uh, made my profession to Christ. I was baptized uh, at the age of 11. Uh, now I tell you that story because uh, many years later after finishing college, teaching high school math for 10 years, serving in Uruguay and South America, Montevideo, the capital for a couple of years through the journeyman program. Uh, Tammy and I married, we had our two children, but from the time that we started courting, because she had had a two year experience in, in uh, Zimbabwe, Africa as a bush nurse. And so we were both of a missions background and uh, we prayed, you know, through our courtship and, and early marriage, asking God, you know, what is it that you want us to do? Um, and it was when uh, the CBF, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, came into being, uh, and the values that they stood for really resonated uh, with us. And so we made an application. 1994, we submitted our application. Uh, Keith Parks was head of the missions, Dr. Parks. He was actually the one who interviewed us in the candidate process. And uh, he at first presented a number of, of uh, people groups in the 1040 window, you know, latitude 10 to 40, where a lot of unreached people groups uh, made their homes. Uh, several of them were located in Asia. Tammy and I looked at the job descriptions, the, the people group descriptions, and just nothing really uh, sparked uh, a flame uh, within us. And we, you know, the interview seemed to be winding down and, and it seemed that this was just gonna be a door that was not gonna open. And then Dr. Parks reached across to a letter lying on his desk from Reves Arpad, who was the serving president of the Hungarian Baptist Union. And he asked CBF to send a couple to work with the Romani there uh, specifically in Hungary. And so as he read the people group description of the Romani, uh, there were adjectives that he used, things like wherever the Romani are across the world, and they are dispersed across many borders and many countries, wherever they are, they are unwanted, despised, certainly unloved, uh, and there it was, it clicked for me. There was a connection back to the villagers in Fasenji that had first uh, started me along the, the path of my faith journey. And so I felt like uh, it, God was presenting me an opportunity to go and, and, and uh, share love and, and the message of God's love uh, with the Romani people, the people group, just like those villagers. So uh, for different reasons, Tammy, uh, uh, there was a spark uh, within her heart. And so it was uh, in uh, February of 95 that uh, we got on the plane with our 
children, Amy and Josh, ages five and seven at the time, and headed toward uh, Budapest, Hungary. And upon arriving, uh, we stayed a day or two in Budapest to get our legs under us, and then we headed up to the village of Dedecke. It's a tiny village in eastern Hungary where the little Baptist church there was welcoming and at first, uh, you know, gave us our initial exposure to the Romani people and to, to evangelizing uh, among them. So it all started from there. Uh, and uh, we were uh, involved in that work for 22 years, a little bit shy of the 25 you mentioned, but uh, for 22 years, we were, were very uh, fortunate and privileged to, to serve the Romani people. So that's how uh, we, we uh, got to uh, serving amongst the Romani. Well, anybody who's ever gone through the process of getting vetted and trained, you can count those years in that too. So <laughs> you can add hey, a little true. bit more to you. <laughs> so I have to say, you know, for our listeners, uh, Amy, Ralph's daughter is uh, my children's godparents. So we have a great relationship. And I remember the first time I saw the picture um, taken of y'all, um, you know, she was young um, as y'all were about to be shipped off to, to go to Eastern Europe. And I, I joked with her, I said, you know what, you're you didn't grow much in that time. You're still the same <laughs> height as you were way back then, you know? So, uh, yeah. and of course she, she, though she may be small, she packs a punch. Uh, so, so, so walk us through, uh, you know, flying to Europe, reconnecting with folks at project Ruth and, and driving, uh, you know, to the Ukrainian border, mind you for our listeners and, you know, Ralph probably killing for saying this, he's not getting paid to do this. He's, he's doing this out of a sense of calling um, he, he's, you know, he's paying for this out of his own pocket. He's missing his, his work. Uh, what are, what are you seeing? What, what are you seeing, smelling, feeling, and sensing as you encounter these people in unbelievable crisis? Well, first it's like a homecoming. Uh, we had such uh, dear friendships that have meant a lot to us, uh, ever since, uh, we moved here. And even before that with OT, we go back with OT to the late nineties, uh, project Ruth started, uh, uh, 90, uh, 92, about the same time CBF uh, did. And uh, we've been involved with them from the late 90s on. I was the closest geographically, the closest CBF field personnel. So I took on the responsibility of uh, meeting teams a lot of times, hosting teams uh, down here, uh, working within the various ministries of Project Ruth. So those various ministries include uh, the school, the Ruth School, which is a, a, a school, uh, an accredited elementary middle school for, uh, it's, it's open to anybody, but it, it caters mostly to within the neighborhood to the Romani uh, who uh, are in abundance in this neighborhood. They, although they have the right to be in the public schools, they experience just a ton of discrimination, not only from fellow students, but also uh, from teachers. And so the school was established as a way to, to encourage them to give them a second chance. So the school was, uh, was the first and the main uh, focus uh, of Project Ruth for a long time. So that's called the Ruth School. And by the way, the name Ruth uh, comes from the, the biblical story of Ruth uh, being welcomed in a, in a land that was not her own, which is what the Romani feel here. Uh, uh, here at Project Ruth, the students go to the Ruth School and they know that they are welcome. It's a, a welcoming atmosphere of warm, uh, 
and uh, they, they feel safe there. So Rue School uh, branched into a ministry uh, to help train Romani pastors. Most uh, Romani uh, do not uh, stay in education past the eighth grade. So they did not achieve to a high school diploma, which means they could not get into the Baptist seminary here. So we uh, established in partnership with the leadership here, the Gypsy Smith Leadership Training School, which over the course of two, year, uh, two years would offer eight weeks of instruction, two courses a week. Oftentimes uh, the, prof the professors would be pastors and leaders uh, from the United States, but also from Great Britain. Uh, and the Netherlands. So that was the second ministry. A third was the Naomi Center for Women, which was a sewing ministry. Uh, we, um, my wife had a big hand in this. They came up with the idea to provide sewing instruction and then access to sewing machines so that women could not only repair the clothing in their own family, but could make articles of clothing that they could then uh, sell in the market and, and have, have some income to help their families. The Obed After School was started, which was uh, for those uh, kids who needed a place to remain after school hours uh, because their parents were fortunate enough to have jobs. And so it provided a, a continued uh, learning atmosphere and a safe place for them to be. So all of that uh, is, is it Project Ruth. Uh, there was an initial building uh, built as a complement to the uh, Providencia Baptist Church. Uh, that has four floors. The bottom floor is a kitchen and cafeteria. The second floor was offices, a conference room. Uh, and then the uh, top two floors were bunk rooms, uh, mostly to, to uh, take in the many uh, volunteer teams that would come this way, first in the construction and then later on in the various projects I just mentioned. So it was that uh, when this crisis hit, the leadership here, Oti and Mishi and others, uh, Brittany, uh, who is a, a long-term uh, missionary from Virginia Baptist, uh, they all put their heads together and said, look, we have the facility to be able to welcome, uh, to be able to shelter Ukrainian refugees. We have cooks at the school that provide meals five days a week to the school children. And we could, uh, you know, branch off uh, from that and, and provide uh, meals to the refugees. We have the rooms available. Uh, some of them had bunk beds, but what they did was clear out everything, uh, but one room that they've left for a kind of a lounge area for the kids to play in. Uh, and otherwise have put down multiple, multiple mattresses. So our capacity now is, is up to 70 here at the center. We've been having uh, 70, 71 a night uh, for now uh, several weeks. And we provide all their meals, we provide the shelter, of course, and we provide uh, what we feel is welcome in Jesus' name. We call their overnight stays safe sleeps. And it's, it's perhaps the, the greatest gift that we can get them. They've come out of a war zone. They've uh, come quickly, hastily, unable to pack much, not carrying much. Um, I'll share some uh, personal stories in, in a couple of minutes uh, about how they show up here. But uh, in the first weeks, they were really shell-shocked because it was so raw and fresh. Uh, and they 
one upon their arrival, the first thing we do is, is make sure that they're asked if they have any medical needs, even from their infants all the way to their to the grandmothers. Uh, then we uh, ask them how we can help them pursue their uh, their ideas of going on to other countries. Perhaps they have family, uh, perhaps they have friends uh, in either various European countries or across the ocean. Uh, Canada is a popular spot. Some have uh, gone on to the US, in fact. Uh, and they're doing all this in, in legal fashion. So we help them get them to the embassies, get their paperwork started, make return visits when needed. Um, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, people are arriving here uh, mostly by train or by car. It's been impressive to observe the network that exists between Romanian Baptists, Ukrainian Baptists, Romanian Brethren, Ukrainian Brethren, uh, a couple of three seminaries are involved. This network is extensive. Uh, uh, somebody will uh, make a query about welcoming a family or a group and, and right away people are snapping up the opportunity to transport them along a segment of the path. There, one border is about 10 hours away, another border is about four and a half to five hours away. Uh, and it takes, uh, it takes a network to, to be able to accommodate, get them all the way here and then to, to get them into the various uh, institutions that they need to proceed. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. So, you know, you talk about you're driving folks to Project Ruth and other partnerships in the area, and typically they're staying for, you know, a night or a couple of days. Where are these folks then going on to? 
Yeah, this is a, a challenge. Uh, initially, they were only coming for a, a night or two or three or four, uh, just to get on, you know, their feet under them and, and make their decisions. Uh, what we found now is that uh, there's a group that wants to stay in Romania. So they have to go through the multiple steps to get the necessary uh, residence permits. In some cases, that's uh, easily done. Uh, but we've run across a couple of cases where uh, a family came from the Ukraine. All the kids were born in the Ukraine, but the mother turns out to be from Uzbekistan. So her passport is from Uzbekistan, and that puts, puts her in a different category. So it can take uh, a few weeks to get all the legal paperwork in order for them, for them to be able to stay in Romania. And then uh, more long-term housing can be lined up. This is usually provided by the government of Romania. Um, another case in point would be those wanting to go to Canada. We have uh, three or four families right now that have begun the process to, to head to Canada. Uh, and the challenge there is, again, it takes uh, several weeks and several interviews. They have to, their backgrounds have to be vetted. So it's time consuming. And, and so we've allowed them to, to stay with us. Uh, so that presents challenges of, of how, how to take care of these families for up to several weeks. We have a case of a, a woman in a wheelchair. She's wheelchair bound and her, her adult son is with her, but he has some mental challenges himself. And they really have nowhere to go. When we asked them where they wanted to go, they said, Germany. Why Germany? Well, we're just, uh, what, we said, who are you going to meet there? We'll just show up in the train station and, and some volunteers will take care of us. Well, we haven't accommodated that request because we want something more solid. So we're working on that situation. Uh, we had a lady today that I picked up from uh, a hospital here in Bucharest. Uh, she had had, I couldn't, you know, ask very personal questions on first time get to know your basis, but uh, she had had some procedure, some surgery to do with her stomach. And so she's gonna need two weeks until she'll go back and get stitches removed. So we'll accommodate her. Um, we had a family of uh, 10 show up that I went to pick up at the train station. Uh, it was three adult women and seven kids ranging from a few months old to maybe a 16 year old. Um, and we had only had available one room at a time, but we put down you know 10 mattresses and they were happy to, to get it and happy to be together. Uh, they showed up carrying one uh, little carry-on that, that's the you know official for airline travel. So that size carry-on and the rest were tote bags. Like you might see people coming out of Walmart with like seven, eight, nine tote bags. Even kids like five and six year olds were hauling these tote bags around. So uh, one of the ways uh, people have uh, blessed my uh, ability to be here uh, with some donations. And so I, I bought them some luggage and they were just uh, happy as could be to receive three pieces of luggage that, that would help them uh, further along their trips. Uh, what's interesting about that family, they came to us one time, uh, one night, I think last week, and uh, they said, six of our friends are arriving at the train station. Can they come stay here? Well, we looked over our roster and we had no available rooms, no available space. And they kept begging and pleading. We said, 
look, we're sorry, we're sorry as can be, but we just don't have any availability right now. They said they can stay in the room with us. <laughs> they were already 10 uh, with mostly mattresses on the floor and they're gonna take six more and require no more mattresses. <laughs> just beautiful, beautiful to see, you know, the, the unity, uh, the desire to be together and to help, you know, their, their fellow Ukrainians uh, to get through this phase. You know, the short term is getting these people to safety, getting them medical care, food, clean clothes. Uh, what's the long term vision for caring for Ukrainian refugees? Well, that's uh, it's beyond our capability, uh, but certainly the governments over here have really been doing a, a masterful job in terms of welcoming. Uh, you know, there were stories even of, of people donating uh, baby carriages, leaving them at the train stations as trains cross the border for families to pick up and take, you know, no return address, just there, that's there for you. Uh, lots of uh, minivans that would uh, transport them to where, whatever part of the country that they wanted to go. Um, and I'll speak in just a second about the convoys heading into the Ukraine of, of uh, food and water and supplies. But long term, uh, oh, one other thing that crosses my mind, the, across the European uh, Union, all the countries involved in that have made train rides free for Ukrainian refugees. All they have to do is go to the train station and go to a certain office and and you know, show their identity papers and, and then they get free train travel. So that's a, that's a big thing. It allows them to go anywhere that you know, they, they can uh, in the European Union. So it, it's amazing. Uh, we just got word today, there is a group that will, is, has asked for 14 children and 14 adults to attend a program in the park next week. And it's, it's supposed to be a fun time to help these kids, you know, have some happy time and, and put some joy on their faces. So we're getting donations, various companies, one company will call up and say, we have a hundred uh, fresh sandwiches to bring to you today. We have packets of diapers, uh, all kinds of donations uh, of that sort that just uh, enable us day to day to, to better serve the needs uh, of our clients. So long-term, Andy, I, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, even if the war ended today, a lot of these folks don't have anything to go back to. So they're, they're going to be uh, a challenge for months and possibly years to come. And governments are going to have to step up uh, and provide housing, provide some uh, possibility of employment. You know, obviously, they come with a different language. They come with a different alphabet. So it needs to be some kind of work that they can do. Uh, in fact, Lidl, I think that's a company uh, familiar to some of our US audience. Uh, they have offered a, a number, I think in the hundreds, uh, warehouse type packing uh, jobs where language would not be a barrier. The folks would learn the skills to pack. They could go pack the boxes and, and work in the warehouse and, you know, that's the kind of thing that the, the local authorities are going to have to be creative with. So it is a long-term uh, challenge. Uh, we're going to do the best we can helping those that, that come through our doors and getting them uh, to the next step in their journey. Uh, and that's, that's what we can offer.
knowing uh, your character um, and what motivates you, you know, this conversation is not about Ralph Stocks. This conversation is about the good work that people are doing and those that are experiencing this. So what are some of the stories or a story that you would want to share to us about some of the people you've encountered? Sure. Uh, uh, something came across the uh, social media the other day. It was a saying that said, somebody somewhere is counting on you to do what God is calling you to do. So one evening I, uh, I was sent to the train station to pick up this woman and her child. This woman's name was Alona. And uh, the contact in the network that sent that put them on the train had sent information and asked if whoever picks them up can actually get on the train and find them and help them with their luggage so i did that i had the, the uh, exact information i had her name written on a sign and uh made my way there and this was a a woman of about i'd guess 35 30 to 35 years of age and she had one son alexi he was about five, I would say. She had one large suitcase, so probably close to, you know, 50, 60 pounds. And then she had a carry-on that was, that was as heavy as the, the larger one. Uh, so I was able to uh, manhandle those bags and get them off the train and, and walk them to our minibus and bring them back to the uh, center here and, and get them set up in a room. Uh, and Later that evening, uh, I got a message from a Ukrainian phone number, recognized the country code, and it was the husband of this woman thanking me for, for going to that trouble to, to care for his uh, wife and son. So, you know, just God has pulled all this together. This is not Ralph, this is this is as you said. This is God pulling the strings, strings, and putting people in places and situations where we can we can help meet their needs. Um, yeah, I'll keep thinking, but uh, let's go on to another question, and maybe another story will come to mind. Well, you would never say it about yourself, but that's that's why I said it. You know it. A lot of people, especially, you know, you look at the journalists that are trying to make their name uh, off of this experience, you know, and then you've got people like yourself who are trying to be a vessel to use, uh, to be used and to, to be the presence of Christ to people as they're experiencing something that most of us will never even come close to, to experiencing. You and I were, were texting before you went to, to Romania about the history of Eastern Europe. Um, after studying this history and serving in this region for, for nearly 25 years, are you surprised that we are where we are today with this situation? Yeah, I think it's, it's still a shock uh, for, for most of uh, Eastern Europe. Um, you know, I, I guess nobody really knew the true character of Putin, the man with all the power, uh, who's pulling the strings uh, that has led to this uh, disastrous and tragic uh, event. Um, so surprising uh, in that sense. And I have been so impressed uh, with the Romanians uh, and how they have responded. I think I alluded, you know, several times to the network that's been established, but uh, 
I do worry uh, down the road weeks or months uh, about compassion fatigue. Uh, you know, as this thing draws out and more and more is needed for a longer and longer period of time, it's, it's really going to test uh, the local people. But here, here's another way folks have stepped up. Uh, here in Providence, a Baptist church, a congregation of about 150 to 200, mostly senior citizens, a uh, few young families, but uh, struggles with the yearly budget. Uh, both their pastors, they have co-pastors. Uh, they actually have other full-time jobs. So the pastoring they do is, is uh, and does not uh, give them any compensation. Uh, all that to say, when this happened, you know, Project Ruth stepped up to say, we're going to provide their meals, uh, their breakfast, their lunch. Lunch will be cooked by the school cooks and, and uh, stuff for supper. But on the weekends, the women of Providence Church said, we'll do the cooking on the weekends. So every weekend on Saturdays and Sundays, they, they come in and, and they uh, work up a really good uh, lunch and, and there's always plenty for leftovers. I joked with them uh, when I spoke to the church and gave a greeting, I said, you know, I think there's one flaw in the strategy here. You know, what we're doing here at Project Ruth is supposed to be a, a transition uh, program. And I said, here you Romanian women are who I know are such good cooks. Uh, how how do we expect them to move on from your good cooking? <laughs> so uh, it's it's just one of many ways that they continue to to step up and uh, get very very impressive. And you know, Andy, they the folks here didn't need saving, and I'm certainly not a savior. I've just come to add my hands and feet to the uh, team that uh, has responded. And it, it's many of these folks are folks that Tammy and I worked with closely for the six years we were in country, uh, love them to death. And it's just fun. Uh, we have cut up constantly and uh, they make fun because I, I've been blessed with a good sense of direction in terms of uh, city roads and streets. And I remember all the shortcuts and some of them don't even <laughs> don't even know them. So uh, it's just good to be back, to be part of a team uh, and to, to serve the Lord in this way. For those that want to get involved with um, the work you're doing, whether contributing to Project Ruth or helping support, again, the fact that you're not doing this for pay, you're, you're doing this out of your own sense of calling, taking time away from your work. Where's the best place for people to go uh, to check out information about what you're doing, or if they feel led to contribute to the work, how, how should they do that? So Project Ruth has had a, a webpage for many, many years, and you can get good information from there. It is project-ruth, all small letters, .org, project-ruth.org. Um, up toward the top, there'll be uh, a button for donation. Uh, but before you get to that, I, I hope you take a minute or two, and, and there's a section uh, on the Ukraine, specifically on the Ukrainian ministry, uh, that outlines, uh, gives several very moving stories of folks who have come through here, folks before I got here. Uh, and so the, I hope you'll take the time to read some of those. And then there's the possibility of donating uh, through the connection there. It has a you make a check out to Project Ruth and send it to an address in the States. This is actually a bank account that we manage uh, there in uh, North Carolina. And then Project Ruth uh, has all the access to it. So they can access the funds 
as they come in and, and as they are needed. So that's available. Uh, I, I, you know, folks have responded, Andy. I, I would encourage everybody to give to that now. Folks have, have, uh, who know me personally have been so kind to uh, throw some uh, funding at my discretion to be used. So two or three ways that I've used that. One is to buy some suitcases, like I, I told that story earlier. The other recently, we only had one baby crib, uh, you know, to spread amongst the 70 clients uh, we have and several uh, infants and, and toddlers. Uh, so I went uh, this week and bought uh, three uh, portable cribs. So imagine the pack and plays uh, that we often use in the States uh, to be available uh, to those families who, who need them. Uh, we're also, I'm also in the process of buying some slippers. Uh, if you know Eastern European culture at all, you'll know that when you come in the door of a, of a home, you'll take off your street shoes and put on uh, house slippers. Well, these folks came in such a such great hurry that they didn't have time to think about things like that. And so uh, we're buying dozens of, of house slippers that uh, then they can take and use and, and take further on their journey. So those, those donations uh, are, are going to that. But something has developed just this week. And, you know, I, I consider this all in God's timing. Um, where we are going to start uh, sending a convoy once every two weeks, taking uh, food, medicine, uh, diapers, water, the, just the basic things that Ukrainians need and head up to the border, cross the border and turn it over to, to local authorities there. Um, so we're uh, gathering uh, essential uh, items, non-perishables, we're gonna construct a box. And when we came up with this today, it's gonna to be called the four uh, colon or semicolon uh, seven box. And, and what it is, it's a box designed to feed four people for seven days. And it'll have, you know, the beans, the rice, the flour, the sugar, uh, lentils, cooking oil, canned meats, uh, some cocoa powder for, for the kids, various things like this. Uh, and we can do that now for $44 a box, which includes the transportation to get it up to the border. So we're going to start that within two weeks. Uh, and, and we intend to send a, a convoy at least once a week, if not, I mean, once every two weeks, if not every week, depending on the, on the funding that comes in. So folks who uh, are moved to help the Ukrainian refugees specifically uh, in this way, uh, Go to the website, project-ruth.org, hit the donate button and go down to the uh, US uh, method to, because we also collect funds in, in the United Kingdom. So make sure your funds, uh, make the check out to Project Ruth and your funds will be applied to these hunger uh, boxes to specifically address the, the hunger needs of, of those dear people across the border in Ukraine. Our guest is Ralph Stocks, retired CBF field personnel and active responder to the Ukrainian refugee crisis along the Romanian border. If you want to learn more and support the work of Ralph, along with the folks at Project Ruth, visit project-ruth.org. You can also visit cbf.net backslash Ukraine for more information about work being done across the fellowship in response to this unbelievable crisis. Ralph, thank you for making the time to do this and super busy and, and helping others. Um, 
And thank you for your continued uh, ability to be the presence of Christ, no matter where that means you're called. Thank you so much, Andy. It's good to talk to you. Take care, everybody. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including black church studies, rural ministry, and pastoral care. For ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in black church studies, rural ministries, and pastoral care, as well as two exploring ministry certificates for general ministry training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with Flourish workshops in subjects such as Introduction to Youth Ministry, Essentials in Youth Ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for fall 2022. Apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 